HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. For more information, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads. Our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts, they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years. I was living in uh, Nepal in northern India. And out there, there's a real famous dish, a classic dish, I should say, is called paya. Parathe Wali Gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Davis-Gross, co-founder and CEO of Family Meal, a creative and marketing cooperative. With 15 years' experience building some of the world's largest brands, Laura has led initiative, initiatives for brands like Coach, Warner Brothers, Mattel, and MetLife across a range of media channels, product categories, and retailers. Most recently, she was SVP of marketing at Wanderlust, the community center and largest multi-day yoga and music festival in the world. Now at Family Meal, Laura does what she loves every day, helps emerging brands craft their stories, find their audiences, and build their businesses. Welcome, Laura. Hi. Sometimes so on like the, the, the really big, meaty bios, I, <laughs> I fumble. It's almost like I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much to read. Um, so I'm so excited you're here. Sometimes every... The way that I do these is I... 
about, you know, a week or two before I start doing a little bit of research mm -hmm. on the guest. Sometimes I know them better than other times. In your case, I, you know, we were introduced by my friend Denise. Um, so I started doing research and then a couple days before I send a draft and mm -hmm. most often people don't write out answers to my <laughs> draft of questions. But you wrote the most amazing. I kind of want to just like skip the whole podcast and just read <laughs> like <laughs> the 10 pages of answers that I got. Because um, I really want to get to them all because yeah. there are some really amazing answers in here. I found okay. myself like circling and starring and high fiving myself. Um, so I think this is going to be really, really chock full of good stuff for all of the people listening. And most of the people listening. I believe, are either founders themselves or thinking about leaving their, you know, job mm -hmm. and starting something. Mm -hmm. So um, we do talk a lot about the story and the brand identity and getting that right mm -hmm. a lot in here because I think it is something that that is worth the time. Um, but what I really like about a lot of your answers is it keeps coming back to it kept kind of coming back to two things, and I think this is going to be exciting for people. One is, does your does your product actually fill a need, mm -hmm. or is it just something like you want to make? And secondly, that really, really critical part about listening to your consumers and finding the right consumers and knowing how to communicate with them. Yeah, and admitting that uh, you may have a sense of who that consumer is, but... Uh, that could evolve over time. They could evolve over time. Right. Uh, culture evolves over time. So yeah. it's a constant conversation. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. You know how it goes. We go a little bit into kind of how you got here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always sort of go back to like the fourth grader. Like, what did you want to be? What were you like? You know, were you a brand person? Were you a, a storyteller? You know, how, what was your sort of paint me a picture. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, I had very humble beginnings in Southern Mississippi where I'm originally from. And uh, we learned at a very early age because I was, uh, my family, I was raised Methodist, United Methodist. And my family, uh, we were a church going every Sunday mm -hmm. kind of group. And uh, I love to sit on the front row and there's a homily at the top of, of every service. And I, at four years old, had memorized it and was yelling, right. singing it at the top of my lungs, but doing so on pitch. And uh, the music director of the church pulled my mom aside and said, you know, she, uh, she, gets, she seems to get bored very easily in church, <laughs> as kids tend to do, right. I'm sure. Four, right. But uh, we think that we could find something uh, of interest for her in music. Let's just see if um, she's learning how to read. Let's see if she can learn how to read music. And I did actually learn how to read music before I learned how to read. Wow. And because uh, I picked it up immediately. Right. It was just, it was just the language of my soul. Oh. It just made so much sense. Um, and that whole Laura gets bored easy uh, uh -huh. or easily uh, became a very common thread in my life. I still get bored very easily, right. which is why... It's um, better that you're helping a variety of brands at any given time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So um, fast forward, my, you know, I, my love for music, my mom really thought that it would be a good opportunity to see what would be possible for me. She always had... Uh, 
kind of Mama Rose visions yeah. for, and she was like she was like Paula Deen's doppelganger. Right. So uh, you know, you can imagine this really grandiose woman um, just kind of pushing her five year old out on stage and yeah. saying like. Let's see what happens. Do it, sweetheart. Yeah. Um, so it, but it, 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 I, I remember that first moment. And do you remember enjoying it or resenting it or both? Uh, well, I think it kind of ebbed and flowed over time. Right. You know, as kind of, as, as my childhood developed and as uh, some struggles went down, like uh, my, my mom was incarcerated when I was eight. Um, and, uh, that was a whole situation for yeah. a number of years. Uh, my, and she was a single mom. My, uh, father, um, who was absent, uh, committed suicide. So that was a whole thing. Like I had a childhood that was not easy, a bit wrought. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, but the consistency I actually had was being able to step on a stage and, uh, look out into a faceless audience, pick up the energy of the room and essentially figure out in a matter of a couple of seconds what was going to make that room mm -hmm. move. Yeah. Um, so that's directly applicable. Yeah, absolutely. To branding and storytelling. For sure. Um, it's no, it's for... being able to walk into a room and read an audience. And Well, you said something in one of your answers. I'm going to skip ahead because yeah, I, I really loved it because it, it's about this. But basically, you were saying that... Um, you approach communication strategies like a cocktail party. Jerks walk into a cocktail party with a me megaphone, um, and they typically get pushed into a corner. And then the folks that make a great cocktail party guest are those who walk in, look around to see if they know anyone, check in with that person, in equal turn talking and listening. If they don't know anyone, they kindly approach someone that looks interesting and ask them a question. It's just such a great, it, like, it's a great metaphor. And I think going back to you as a kid, you you almost learn that, I mean, you, I'm sorry, first of all, you learned some very hard lessons very early on. Don't be sorry. I'm um, so grateful for it. Yeah. It's totally good. But, um, but what an amazing lesson to learn, like to learn to pick up on energy and know what you need to do to interact with it and to get it going and to feed off of it, but also to feed into it, you know? It's Absolutely. Very cool. So did you, did you remember did you think you wanted to be a professional singer when you were growing up or did you think you wanted to do, you know, business or what did you think? So specifically when I was in fourth grade, I wanted to be an astronomer. Like okay. I told everybody there was, I remember back, there was like a, a local newspaper that had right. written up about me and they wanted to talk about my, my future as a superstar. And right. I just wanted to talk about astronomy. Right. And it was one of those things. My grandmother bought me national geographics and I just uh -huh. read them, you know, the, the adult national geographics, right. not the, not the kid, not one. the kid. Right. Ones. Yeah. And, uh, I, I remember, you know, tearing the posters out every month and, you know, my walls were just covered. Right. I was just obsessed with science. And then high school and college, did, were you... So I, yeah. you know, humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. So I knew that one of the ways that I would be able to get a college education. Now, yep. fortunately, I I went to high school in Georgia, and they have a Hope Grant. Uh, and um, I qualified for that. But um, I really knew that if I could go and get a music degree, that I could, I could have a backup plan yeah. while I figured out what I was going to do as an right. adult. I knew that I could, because I had four 
uh, periods throughout my childhood, I knew I could put food on my table by singing. Right. So it was, it's funny when I talk to, especially a lot of my husband and I both come from uh, theater and performance backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our friends are still in the business. Um, it's funny when I talk about the fact that I moved to New York and performing was going to be my plan B, Right. (laughs) you know? Yes. But it's the truth. Right. And, uh, fortunately enough, it, I kept an open mind and an open heart and, uh, trusted my gut. And I talk a lot about that too, that mind, heart, gut connection. Uh, and, uh, it, it has never failed me. That's amazing. And so did you, how, I mean, how did you end up, what was your first big job out of school or like, you know what I mean? And when did, how did you end up? I mean, you worked at coach Warner brothers, Mattel. I mean, you worked at some pretty big names. How did you even get there? So, uh, Warner brothers, Mattel were, were clients, but, um, but yeah, I worked, uh, at coach and I, um, I worked for the Snoopy brand for a number of years. And, but I, when I moved to New York, I moved on a Thursday I immediately went to a temp uh, agency. Uh-huh. And this is aging me. Right. I've been in New York for 15 years. So 15 years ago, you could walk into a temp agency on a Friday. <laughs> and if you were competent, right. uh, you could get assigned a job on a Monday. I don't think that's possible anymore. <laughs> I don't know. But right. um, I got assigned to the finance team of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade office. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And fast forward, that turned into a role on their event operations team. Right. And so I was an event operations associate for three years right. for Macy's doing the fireworks and the flower show and the parade. Right. Um, that introduced me to the folks at Snoopy. Right. And, you there know, you the go. kind of like Candyland board of yep. my career began. Yeah. Uh, but it started by the the team at Macy's, you know, right. seeing that uh, I had potential in event operations and giving me a shot. So in the past, I mean, in before you before you started Family Meal, you were both on you were both a client yes. looking for marketing and on a marketing team that was hired. And mm-hmm. can you just sort of break down a little bit? I mean, I, I th- my guess is that no one. Um, no one, none of the founders that are listening to this, we're not quite ready for like in-house marketing. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's, that's a big step. I mean, that would mean that we were pretty far along. Um, well, and that's why Family Meal exists. Yeah. So tell me about it. Yeah. So we, we recognize the fact that there's a, there's a, uh, there's uh, before the tipping point, mm-hmm. there's a need for senior level leadership from a marketing, branding, communications perspective, but you don't necessarily want to uh, just hand an agency uh, $25,000 and get a, a stout guide back. Yeah. Now we can totally do that. That's totally fine. But we have found that there are a number of startups that need general counsel as is related to external communications and marketing they need help really honing in on uh, who their who their people are mm-hmm. and how to keep those people engaged yep. it's not just about facebook and instagram anymore yeah. and um and that that's where we really find our sweet spot we essentially become your external marketing arm And, uh, we not only help you get the goal really, and my, my husband jokes all the time because he's in marketing as well, but Mm he, uh, he's been at his company for 15 years in house. Right. (laughs) And he was like, I don't understand why you've started a company that 
basically your goal is to make yourself make right. yourself obsolete, uh, obsolete exactly yeah. <laughs> um thank you because um, well, you get bored easily you answered it you yeah know? absolutely right. but I also love seeing founders yeah. succeed yes it is it just lights me up well also I mean you can get in there early enough and help us hopefully not make some of the mistakes that my guess is 99% people yeah, make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same ones over and over. So let's skip ahead a little bit and talk about those mistakes. Um, we're going a little bit in reverse order of the questions, but I I'm do cool think, with that. yeah. So the mistakes that you see founders making, and mm-hmm. this is where everyone takes out their pens, like do mm-hmm. not do this. Mm-hmm. Constant, like consistent mistakes. So first things first, especially folks who have taken money. Mm-hmm. They are putting profit, board, and exit strategy above their customers. They right. are looking so closely at their P&L, and mm-hmm. they're looking so closely at what their board is telling them they should do yeah. that they're forgetting to keep in touch, keep holding the hand of their customers. Right, especially, if I may, the your, your early core customers. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of times... Um, even though venture guys and gals say that they don't, um, I do think that they push small brands to open doors very quickly and expand regionally very quickly. And they are driving that top line, right? And unfortunately, what happens is you sort of lose sight of like the people that got you there in the first place. And so even as we're building out our demo schedule for next year, you know, we're not doing as many in the Northeast because we're going to be in other regions and we want to just make sure that we're not kind of leaving the people who got us to where we are in the dust a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it is, it's a, it's a struggle because you have a limited amount and they want you to go, go bolder and go bigger and go wider. And as a team, you, you, you know, you can't be everywhere. So I think that's, a, that's a really good point. So keep your eye on your core people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And there's ways too to drop back in with those folks, not to, not to start just spewing advice at you. No, I please. <laughs> that's why I started this podcast. <laughs> um, surprise and delight goes a long way. Yeah. With your customers. Yeah. Uh, and I would really encourage, uh, we can talk about it off air, but yeah. I, would, I would encourage something like that just to, just to, re- it's a quick hug. Right. It's a quick hug. Um, okay. Other mistakes you see. Putting vision above market fit. What does that mean? That is that. the dream that you had for this project mm-hmm. or product or service. If you've, if you keep hitting your head against a wall of finding a small number of consumers, but not really kind of hitting the, hitting your stride mm-hmm. from a from a consumer uh, adoption, you're probably, unless you're a super niche, high-end luxury uh, product or service, you're probably rubbing friction against market fit. So then how, I, I actually, I feel like I have a bunch of friends who this would apply to. They have products that are beloved by Mm -hmm. a few. Mm -hmm. Um, They have other products that I think could be more, you know, broader, mm-hmm. um, but they, they're really focused on, on sort of like the higher price point and maybe the, you know, people are obsessed with this one part of them, but they're not necessarily making themselves, um, accessible. 
or Mm -hmm. they're not kind of opening up to other products that I think could kind of be like click in with a lot more people. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, I guess, how do you know, how do you, how do you know what you're doing in that case? Like, how do you know when you have that product market fit and how do you think about it? Well, I, there's a couple of different ways to, to approach it, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I think if you've established this, this expectation within your organization internally, even if your organization is one person, mm-hmm. of consistent feedback yeah. from your customers. They will tell you where the opportunities are. Yes. They will tell you where uh, there are there are spaces to shift. Now, now what I would say though is that you do need the time, space, and energy enough to be able to absorb that and not start really kind of pinpointing like focus groups of one. Right. Yes. Uh, but, but if there is kind of this, this reciprocal loop of communication with your customers via social channels, via simply saying, sending out a founder's note once a month or once a quarter that, uh, that encourages people to respond to the email, people will respond to the email, rewarding them for filling out a survey. Uh, asking for comments on your website. There's a lot of different ways. Sorry to interrupt you, but the survey thing is a little hard because one of the things that I think a lot of us have a problem with or a challenge with is like knowing what we're even asking, what we're even asking. You know, we don't want to waste anyone's time on a survey where we're like, oh, look, you know, we kind of want to know, we want a few questions. I mean, how long should a survey be in your opinion? Three to five questions. Okay. Three to five questions that really can give you useful information for thinking about your next product or your packaging. It's really so simple. Yeah. Who are you, okay. customer? Yeah. This what is why you? I love you. <laughs> it's, it's all simple. That's the thing. It's, it's really about... By the way, have... listeners, she's holding her fingers in the air like one, two, three, which is exactly <laughs> the way that I like talk. So I'm feeling very happy right now. Okay. Who are you? Who are mm-hmm. you, consumer or yeah. customer or devoted follower or however you want, or community member? Right. Who are you? What are you loving about this product? Yeah. What are you not loving about this product? Yeah. What can we do to make you use this product even more? How can we improve the product to make you love it even more? Mm-hmm. What are we doing or what are we not doing for right. you? Okay. And now, I mean, you can tailor those, obviously. But that's the gist it's of the what gist. you're trying to get to. Right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's what you should be talking to your consumers about regardless. Right. Because it's interesting because a lot of people are like, you should make a sauce. And I think in my head, they have no idea like how that it's just a impossible B it wouldn't last. C it's a weird color. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, it's hard to listen to what everyone says. So you Mm -hmm. do try to, you, you try to at least sort of like keep your eye on like your plan and let it sort of be influenced a little bit by what, the people who love you are telling you for sure and henry ford famously said if i had asked people what they wanted they would have said faster horses right yeah so great quote but i think it's important to that's the reason i i suggest you know three to five questions rather than just one yeah and they're also they're also open-ended enough that people you know that that they're 
they're not just going to say, I want a mole sauce or whatever. Right. And, and, they if might, they, and if they do want a mole sauce, why? Right. You know, ask them why. Yep. Because you're basing the most important question you as a business owner can ask is why. Yeah. Amazing. All right. And that's not for me. Simon Sinek started that. I can't take credit I, for that. I, yeah, start with why. But I'm a, I'm a disciple. Me too. He, my, um, Courtney, who works with me, quoted him the other day, and she said, leadership isn't about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. 100%. Which is such a beautiful quote. Um, okay, you have a couple more mistakes that you see, and then we're going to take mm-hmm. a break. So putting personal opinion above facts. I think our sauce is awesome. <laughs> well, that is a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. Yes, that is thank a fact. You. Okay. I've told you that the Romesco, your Romesco <laughs> sauce, literally is a condiment in my fridge. I'm put it on so happy to hear everything. it. Yes, thank you. Um, but there are a lot of personal opinions. Uh, right. Ways in which you envision the brand that just don't align. There are delusions of grandeur that exist amongst startup founders, and yes. I love you all so much, but yeah. it's, the, it's one of the best... It's the double-edged sword of being yeah. a founder with a great product or service. Right. Um, really trust the facts. Yeah. Uh, and and try to unearth them. Yep. Yeah. The facts. We're, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that afterward. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then. And there's qualitative and quantitative facts, yes. which make it even more complicated. Yes. Uh, then the last one is selling the vision, not the reality. There are folks that I've worked with. There are folks that I've seen who certainly have a grand vision for what they are building Mm -hmm. and they sell that to their customers and 100% of the time their customers are disappointed because you've sold the wrong thing. Right. Don't sell the wrong thing. It's interesting. Before we take the break, Maddie, maybe you can chime in here or something, but we, we've been sort of redoing the, um, the package because we got all these new certifications and we have to print a new round of pouches with the gluten-free and the vegan and the non-GMO on it. And we don't have very much space on that little package. It's actually quite tiny. And at the bottom on the front, we've always said, first we said cook with confidence. Um, and that seemed to be just too esoteric for people. They were like, what the hell does that mean? And I don't even want to cook. Then the second thing was drizzle, sizzle, toss sauce, which we thought was kind of cute and like catchy. And like, you can drizzle it, you can sizzle with it. You can, and people again were sort of like, but what do I do with it? And so we just now say the new ones that are coming out are going to say squeeze on (laughs) steak, squeeze on fish. Like we're a little nervous because we feel like it's too reductive. Like what if I pick it up and I don't eat steak, then am I going to just put back the chimichurri? And we're kind of taking the gamble that, no, they'll know that if you can squeeze this on steak and it's vegan, you can also squeeze it on cauliflower or mushroom. But I think in a way, I know it's not exactly what you meant between the vision and the reality, but the vision was that all of these people were going to know immediately what to do when they pick up this pouch and they were just going to start cooking. And the reality is people pick it up and they still are kind of, even people who are attracted to it and go all the way to the the actual picking up, you know, they still, the reality is, is that they still don't know exactly what to do with it. And I've, we've had to adjust the way we speak to consumers and we talk to them from this sort of, and you can make these amazing, you know, meatballs with it to like, just squeeze it on your sandwich. Is that a little bit what you mean? It's exactly what I mean. Okay. So I love 
consumers. I live for telling brand stories and helping businesses make that connection, right? Yeah. However. Yes. As, and we're all consumers yes. in this room, so I say this with kindness and, and love. Yes. We are stupid. <laughs> yeah. So and, and we are so distracted. Yes. We and have a fourth of a millisecond or something to make a decision or if, whatever it is. If, yeah. we are in the, if we're scrolling on our phone... Two seconds. Right. If we're in an aisle, we probably have kids in our cart. Right. And we have two seconds. Right. So to be able to pick something up and you have made a sauce that makes people's lives easier yes. in a really delicious, high quality way. That is literally what you are doing by your rewrite on your package is educating them on how easy you're making their life. Right. Literally squeeze it. Ah, yay. See? We did good. High five. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a couple more minutes uh, to talk about everything else. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. About 30 years ago, in a small town in Sweden, a scientist invented oat milk, and everyone thought he was totally crazy. But remember, back then, vegans were weirdos on the fringes of society. Unlike today, when vegans are everywhere and include some of the world's most famous weirdos and non-weirdos on Earth. Actually, it is true that today more and more people in the U.S. and around the world are starting to understand the benefits of eating and drinking plants so their bodies feel good and the planet can cope better with the impact we humans place on it. So here's a sort of deep question. If 30 years ago people thought oat milk was a ridiculous idea, imagine how different people's beliefs about food could be in 30 years from now. Are we going to be looking back on our barbaric meat-eating ancestors of the early 2000s? Anyway, since this is an ad for Oatly, I should mention that one easy way to go more plant-based is just to switch from cow's milk to oat milk. It tastes really great, it foams really well, and you can just ask the baristas at Haven's Kitchen how popular it is. To find out more than you'd ever want to know about oat milk, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. Or look for Oatly on Instagram, at O-A-T-L-Y. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. I'm back with Laura Davis-Gross, co-founder of the marketing agency Family Meal. Okay, so I feel like I still don't entirely have my arms wrapped around 
brand and hierarchy and like that product market fit and how they all kind of come together. I can tell you from our just, I think we're a pretty good case study. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, constantly sort of hearing from our students that they didn't want meal kits. We were hearing that they didn't want to continue to put ranch dressing and ketchup and tomato sauce on everything. That they didn't have time to learn how to make romesco or chop oregano or what the hell is lemongrass. And so they didn't want to clean, they didn't want to cook, but they wanted to make meals at home. And they, and they knew enough to just be able to hack something together and they wanted it to last 20 minutes. So we came, you know, we, we came up with these sauces that were based on what was in the cookbook and what we were teaching. And I put them in pouches because I thought it would be fun literally, to make people cook more because it was squeezy and like Mm -hmm. very sort of that kindergarten feeling. Tactical. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and we kind of did some work around like, okay, who who are we, you know, Mm -hmm. and and what are the feelings that we're trying to get people to feel? Mm -hmm. And those were kind of springboarded off of like the kit, you know, the cooking school. Like we Mm -hmm. want people to feel creative and confident and... We want them to to have that like I did it feeling, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, that was our brand. That was it. So taking us and going back, like what were what would you have sort of advised us back then, or like what questions would you have asked us um, or told us to ask of ourselves before mm-hmm. kind of designing packaging and and starting Instagramming and you know doing ads and stuff mm-hmm. like that? How do you do you know what I'm yeah, asking? Yeah, totally. So in terms of who you're... So the great thing is that because you have Haven's Kitchen, mm-hmm. you have an, an existing consumer base. Yes. Now, they might be specific to New York City. Right. But you have a you have a foundation, right. which, frankly, a lot of right. folks do not have. And so and even for the people that don't have a foundation, I want to be sure that I'm not asking something only for me. Like, mm-hmm. answer it for them, too, you know, if you can, like, if well, they don't. Well, you absolutely, across the board, whether you have an established, uh, owned foundation mm-hmm. or whether you have a, a foundation that's yet to be cultivated, yep. you absolutely should have... Uh, a clear understanding of who at least you are solving this need for. Right. And there needs to be a need that you are solving. That, I mean, that's... 100%. Right. And uh, that's not to discredit the folks that are doing things for entertainment. I mean, that's right. still very much a need. Right. Across the board, there's there's there should be a need to solve. Right. You should There should be a why for your existence. Right. If and there's not, Who are why? the people that need it, right? Exactly. Now... Again, because consumers evolve, you evolve as a company, your um, culture evolves, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a... Fixed. It's not fixed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much the opposite of that. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think where we would... Now, did you go through the exercise of really identifying your audiences and, and um, doing kind of simple, um, like... Uh, qualitative focus groups or or anything like that? Not really. I have to admit what we really focused on was us, which Mm -hmm. I think is one of those things that is very typical probably. Mm -hmm. Like we were very, I read Debbie Millman's book, Brand Thinking, Mm -hmm. and I just became sort of obsessed with like, who's our Jungian archetype? And 
those questions. I think we had a very good grasp very early on that we were the mentor, Mm -hmm. you know, the shaman. We were the Glinda the Good Witch. We didn't, we didn't like, we gave you the tools to be able to, you know, get to the top of the mountain kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We had all of that pretty, pretty solid. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that, and I think we kind of intuitively know who these consumers are and we know them more now than we did two years ago. Um, because we felt like the people that are coming to the classes, though, that's, that's them. Um, but we didn't dig into them right. at all. And I think we probably should have. Yes. Well, yeah. and I think too that, uh, and I haven't seen your class, mm-hmm. uh, demographic and psychographic breakdown. So, um, do they have, do you target multiple ages? Do you target we don't multiple? Even really target. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Okay. I don't know. But I know that they're, I know I could paint a picture. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, we've kind of nicknamed them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we have sort of like archetypes-ish, sure. you know. They're like, there's a few different demographics. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I don't, I think that we, how would you have suggested we really understand who they were better? So there's a couple of different ways to fit this and it really comes down to time and budget. Right. Neither. Uh, we have neither. <laughs> you never do. Yeah. <laughs> you never do. Never. But you have to find it. Yes. So I would, I would, re- I would have recommended probably doing um, small qualitative focus groups. And you can go in. I don't know if I don't know if you're a mom, but uh, mm-hmm. there are um, there are organizations like Hey Mama mm-hmm. that um, they're a. Are you familiar with them? Mm-mm. They're a. a a, an executive um, mom network. Right. And uh, we're a group of women that uh, basically there's like 1,800 of us all over the country. And we, you absolutely should join. And we... Um, I have five kids. That yeah. makes me a oh, real mama. You are a... Yeah. You are you are a... Hey. <laughs> hey, Capital mama. H. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, we... We basically, uh, a lot of the, the women in the organization are um, entrepreneurs themselves. So we use each other as tests. If the, if the right. audience makes sense, right. like I would strongly recommend that you tap into networks like that, that exist within your, uh, your uh, assumed right. uh, demographic psychographic profiles, but make sure that they're splotched all over the country to make sure that, because there's a tremendous amount of variance that happens, especially in the United States from yeah. a regionality perspective, For sure. especially when it comes to food. So, um, I would have probably recommended some, some taste testing around, right. Uh, even if it was just small groups, just to get feedback, making sure that you were locking in, right. Uh, because you might, you might be surprised. Yeah. We did one very early on, like on the pouch, just because we knew it was going to be something really weird mm-hmm. for people. And, and even the word sauce, I mean, people just think it's tomato sauce mm. when you say sauce. Like it's a very, it, it, but we didn't, I still don't know that we've completely, I think that's our next sort of step. I'm looking at Maddie. Like, I think we're going to dig in a little bit more into the who. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because we know that we're filling a need because we know that we are mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because we know. But I think we could get a little deeper into who they are and then starting then going from that sort of like brand, you know, you you know who you know why you exist, you know who you exist for. 
then can you kind of break down that hierarchy thing a little bit? Like, how do you, how do you get from knowing who you're talking to and why you exist to like being able to tell a concise, tight story across many different places? Well, I think it's important to, I think it's important to understand a couple of things Mm -hmm. for your audience. You're going to, you're, for your different audiences, you're very likely going to fit different needs for those different archetypes. Right. So you need to make sure you know what you're solving by customer. Right. And you can grow into this. This isn't something that you need to no, but this is know off the gate, yeah. but absolutely you should be speaking to the 25-year-old vegan San Francisco uh, uh, tech chick, mm-hmm. different than you're speaking to the, the 50-year-old... Fifty-year-old empty nester, or mm-hmm. the single dad with two kids, yep. or you know, they all have different needs, and you are—you can absolutely fit them. You need to again, because consumers have two seconds. You need to prioritize your messaging in order to ensure that they immediately get what you offer them specifically. We as consumers right. are so driven by individual indi- individualism yeah. mm-hmm. more so than ever before. If you as a brand can address my need Im- immediately and you can resonate with me, you have me for you have me for five seconds. How do you do that on a package, though? Well, that's the interesting thing. Right. You don't necessarily do it on a package. Right. You do it by building an ecosystem around a brand. Okay, so let's talk for like two minutes about that because <laughs> I know you have to leave. So the ecosystem, the way I, I'm like always going back to the pie chart, right? Yeah. So like you have, are you talking about sort of like organic, you know, Instagram and All then paid it. and then PR and, yep. you know, your influencers, your which I influencers, I right? Goosebumps just thinking more so ambassadors, right? Grassroots folks who are just driving your word it, of right. mouth. Yes, absolutely. And so then the idea is like through all of those because I have in your notes your website, your social spaces, your content strategy, your, your ambassadors, email. your paid. Every one of those is a different kind of path, almost to a, to to almost different people. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, because we not only as consumers are individuals, but we, we have individual preferences. So you and I might be similar archetypes, right? But you love text and I love email, right? How are, how are we going as a brand going to communicate to you via text and me via email and get us both to point of purchase? Right. This is so cool. I know you have a childcare hard stop. (laughs) So we are going to wrap it up. Um, And I want people to be able to reach you. So yeah. how do they how do they find Family Meal? Yeah, we are. I'm Laura L A U R A at familymeal.co, co not com. Got it. Yep. Okay. Family Meal, all one word. Um, and tell me the last question is always like the most fun you've had doing what you do, like an aha moment or a moment where something clicked for a founder you were working with, or clicked for you. Uh, I know there are many. I ha- there there really are many. I'm very yes. fortunate in that way, uh, especially working with the brands that I've worked with. Uh, I would say that um, the most fun I've had is uh, I was totally thinking about this personally, and I was going to tell you about my uh, helicopter uh, ride over an active volcano in Hawaii. But you could, I mean, that's um, an answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the city of New York, uh, my second year at Macy's, uh, shut down 
the Times Square for us while we were balloon testing. Oh, wow. And we were three o'clock in the morning. Times Square was lit up as it always is. Yeah. And uh, we were literally on empty streets and it was just the most... Magnificent. It just like... Oh. fell in love with New York. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, Laura, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I do think we me. need to have a second one because there are just there's so many things that we, again, didn't get to talk about. But if you have questions, uh, DM me, and I can certainly send you all of Laura's notes from the show, similar to what I did with Dawn's um, pricing worksheet. Um, certainly DM me on our Instagram And Laura, thank you so much for coming. And all of you listening to In the Sauce, I'll be on next week. Thanks for listening. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.